Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Text to the Gospel lesson from Luke chapter 4, Pastor Roberts has just read to us. Well, a reminder once again that this is the season of epiphany, a season of jaw-dropping awe at the unveiling of Jesus to the world as the Son of God, His beloved, the one with whom He is well pleased, week one, and the Son of Man, not just born of Mary, but the one revealed by Daniel the prophet to receive all power and authority to make the world right. That was last week. So like the next episode in your favorite Netflix or Hulu series program, today's encounter with Jesus reveals yet another dimension of His real presence in our world and in our lives. Today, the one called the Son of God, the one called the Messianic Son of Man, is called by the people of His hometown, the Son of Joseph which sparks a reaction that one commentator labeled as attempted murder on the Sabbath. Now we called our sermon series, Witness the Wonder. And today, the camera swings round to witness the wonder of human rejection, of unbelief in the face of God's unlimited grace and mercy. So let's do two things this morning. Let's let's compare and contrast what we sometimes are looking for in Jesus to what Jesus actually sees in us. So first, what is it that we sometimes are looking for in Jesus? Well, to do that, let's go to Nazareth. It was a small village on the northern frontier of Israel up in Galilee. And those of you who grew up in a small town know what that's like. The best part is that everybody knows everybody. And the worst part is that everybody knows everybody. Bible scholars seem to concur that it is most likely that Jesus' stepfather, you'll remember he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and Joseph had to be told in a dream that it was okay to take Mary as his wife, that in all likelihood Joseph had died, leaving Mary a widow and Jesus as the oldest son to provide for her. And so the people of Nazareth had watched, they had interacted with, they knew him and the family. And then at some point Jesus had left to begin his assigned work as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the King of Kings, as the Lord of Lords, come to rescue the human race and the entire creation from the mess that it's in. That led one commentator to speculate like this. In Nazareth, Jesus had buried his foster father, supported his mother with his labors as a carpenter, was known by all, and was in contact with them all of those years. 
At the start of his ministry, he may have moved the family to Capernaum, which is some 50 miles to the north and east of Nazareth on the banks of the Sea of Galilee in order perhaps the more conveniently to care for his mother. And something like a year had passed before our text where the people of Nazareth had seen Jesus leave as an ordinary man and now returned to them with the fame of his deeds and his teachings running high throughout the region. What they saw in Jesus is revealed by Jesus' analysis of their reaction. What did they see in him? Well, he's a hometown boy of whom they had their own perceptions, their own expectations, their own observations, their own conversations with each other about him and his family over all of those many years. He had not gone to university. He had not been trained as a rabbi. And yet the things that he said and that he did throughout the region had them at this moment leaning in, waiting to see if he would meet all of their expectations. I imagine a drum roll here. Every person in that synagogue had something that they hoped to see or to hear. See, I don't think human beings have have changed all that much over the centuries, so it's not that hard for me to imagine that some were hoping that Jesus would, would recognize and recall that time when they had helped him and Mary out after Joseph had died. And surely there was a skeptic or two in the crowd muttering under their breath, this ought to be good. And some in real need, looking for, longing for something miraculous as they had heard he was doing all around the area. And so that begs the question, does it not? What exactly did you come today expecting from Jesus? What is it that you're hoping for? A good sermon, great music? A kick in the pants for the bad people, a pat on the head for the good people. Something new about the Bible and about the Christian faith that you can add to your repertoire of spiritual information. A little law, a little gospel with the emphasis on the gospel, of course, reassurance of of God's love. Maybe all of that. And indeed, much, much more if we can come to grips with what Jesus sees in us. Jesus uses two Old Testament illustrations to peel back the curtain of what lies hidden in the human heart. In the first example, Jesus holds up the prophet Elijah. And in his day, There was a very bad king in the history of the kings of Israel named Ahab who married a woman whose reputation endures to this day named Jezebel. And together they mistakenly believed that they could worship the one true God of Israel, Yahweh, and at the same time the pagan false god Baal. And so Elijah was sent to warn 
Ahab to knock it off or to suffer the consequences of a famine, which indeed came and lasted three and a half years, during which time Ahab hunted Elijah to destroy him. But God, God sent Elijah to stay with a poor widow. Now, not an Israelite poor widow, not one of the people of God, but an outsider, a foreigner. And it was there that God performed a miracle preserving both Elijah and this poor foreign widow. Now, idolatry has been and still is the number one problem with the human heart. And so the church, from age to age, the Bible calls us the new Israel, has chased off after other gods and and measured our success by the amount of political power that we can exert on our culture, by the size of our budgets and the numbers in attendance, by the size of the staff and our facilities. But now, lo and behold, the church in America begins to decline and lose its prestige in American culture, and some are hurt, and some are afraid, and some are furious. The second example is a generation later during the reign of Jehoram, who was Ahab's son. And this time it's a rich foreigner who had heard about the healing power of the prophet Elisha. And he comes to ask for a cure from his leprosy. And this time the king simply despairs but doesn't even think about going to God for help through Elisha. And I would suggest to you that once again the church today, the new Israel, is guilty of of worrying and fretting and wringing our hands over threats that are both real and perceived without considering what God might actually be up to. The force of both of these illustrations is the same. The gifts of God's grace in particular, his works of power are not bestowed on us because of nationality or some outward connection of any kind. Nazareth has no claims over against Capernaum or vice versa. And all of the widows and the lepers in Israel had no claims that God recognized over against the widow of Zarephath and Naaman the Syrian. There are no claims that we can make to coerce God. God bestows the gifts of His grace and His mercy freely, without human merit or worthiness, but listen carefully, not arbitrarily. He bestows the gifts of His mercy and grace, rather, where He finds hearts that are empty and that make no claims at all for themselves. Look, Jesus looks into the human heart and he sees the expectation that we somehow deserve something special from God. 
Look, that's what happened to the people of Israel in general. They imagined that God had chosen them as his instrument for bringing salvation to the world because there was something special in them that set them apart from all other nations. The people of Nazareth expected special treatment from Jesus because he had grown up there. And the fact is we are not fond of people with an entitlement mentality until our own entitlements are challenged. Jesus looks into my heart. I'm not speaking about you now. I'm speaking about me. And if it applies to you, it just means we're more alike than you thought. And he sees in me expectations that deserve extra from him because I'm an American. And the founders of this nation were Christian, and God ordained and established this nation. And of course, it is his favorite. I am a Christian. I am a Lutheran Christian. I am a Missouri Synod Lutheran Christian. Not some run-of-the-mill ordinary Protestant. I am in possession of the inerrant inspired Word of God and the pure doctrine of those scriptures expressed in the book of Concord. I am white. I am a conservative. I believe in small government and the freedom of the individual to make the right choices for themselves. I'm pro-life. I'm straight. I am a male. I work hard. I deserve to be successful and relatively comfortable. I'm older now than I ever was before, and I should be able to retire and enjoy the fruits of my labor without inflation eating into my income. I am a consumer, and I expect to get my money's worth. You see, the problem is that my heart is so full of me that there's no room for Jesus. And when Jesus pointed that out to the people of Nazareth, they went ballistic. Now, the location outside of Nazareth is still a tourist stop for travelers to Israel. And there is a park there called Mount Precipice where you can walk out to the edge of the cliff that Nazareth is built on and you can look over the edge at the several hundred foot drop. But it was not Jesus' time to die. But there was another day coming when the crowd would march Jesus out to another rocky crag called Calvary, and from there the human race pitched Jesus off into the abyss of death and separation from God And because our hearts are so full of ourselves because we cannot stop imagining that we possess qualities that make God fond of us over against others. Jesus does not resist this time. Jesus, the one and only human being who ever merited God's favor, poured out his heart for us on the cross to set us free from ourselves. 
Look, the synagogues had no official readers. There were no called and ordained servants of the word. Any competent member might read one or the other lessons. There were assigned lessons as we have today from the first five books of the Old Testament called the Pentateuch and then readings from one of the prophets. And Jesus knew when they handed him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah exactly which verses he would read to them. We have the opportunity to change the ending of today's lesson. If we can bring ourselves to see ourselves as Jesus does and receive the gifts that he brings. And what does Jesus see in us? The controlling image in these words of Isaiah is complete spiritual emptiness and poverty. Jesus comes to proclaim good news to the poor. Now this is not financial poverty, although it often includes that as well. The widow was poor, Naaman was rich, but they both possessed a heart that God saw into as devoid of any sense of spiritual entitlement before him. To the one who comes to the end of themselves, Jesus proclaims liberty. Like one who has been dragged away by an invading army and held captive, Jesus declares our release from the bondage of sin and the power of the devil. Jesus said it again to you this morning. I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. To the one who can admit their own blindness to themselves, to the way that God works in this world. Jesus proclaims recovery of sight to the blind. And he gives us again this morning the eyes of faith. You know what that is? That's the ability to leave here this morning and to look around and stop seeing people as this or that or the other thing in comparison to yourself, but as dearly loved, forgiven, and bound for eternity, children of the one and only supreme being in the new heaven and the new earth. Eyes to see the needs of others and to respond to them in real and and tangible ways. You know, a word of encouragement, an act of generosity, an attitude of kindness and compassion. To the one who has experienced the crushing weight of their own failure. One who is oppressed by the reality that you cannot undo what you have done, Jesus proclaims freedom. For on the cross, he takes that sick feeling in the pit of your stomach at the memory of that foolish moment that you hope no one ever finds out about. And he restores your joy and your peace. Today, This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, another unique moment of grace in which he forgives all your sins, opens your eyes to see the world differently, and sets you free to go and live this week humbly and boldly.
Amen.